seated. Thanks, worship team. My name is Dan Jarvis. I'm one of the pastors here and very glad to be kicking off a new series for learning here at the church that uh, we'll be walking through for a good chunk of this spring, and that is we'll be diving deep into the book of Hebrews. So if you want to turn there in the Bible, if you use the church's Bible, it is on page um, 727, and love for you to be able to follow along with us as we read each week. And then uh, ultimately, we, you know, when we study the Bible, when we get into it, we're, we're interested in the historical context, we're interested in the theology and doctrine that it teaches, we're also interested in what it is that it means for us in our context today. How do we apply the scripture to our life? So I hope that over the course of this series, you'll get a little bit of a dosage of all of that, a little history, a little theology, um, some interesting philosophy, things to muse about. But most of all, that when you walk out of this building, that you are equipped to either love Jesus in a new way or obey Jesus' word uh, in a clearer way. So that's what we're hoping to accomplish as we go through the book of Hebrews. We've titled it, One for All, All for One. Okay, that one, obviously, is Jesus Christ himself. Uh, he gave his life as a sacrifice for all of us, and now we all get to put our faith in him and walk with him. And the whole book of Hebrews gives us perspective on why that's so important. Some of this book will take us back into history, uh, where we'll understand a little bit better even the Old Testament narrative of the law and the sacrificial system and the Jewish customs, but all of it then points us to follow Jesus and to put our faith in him and how that will transform our life going forward. Um, so a few questions that the book of Hebrews answers that I wanted to kick this off with just to give you a little flavor for where we'll, what we'll discover as we walk through this book. Uh, one question is, who is Jesus really, and why do I need to believe in him? Uh, so it's one thing to believe in Jesus in sort of a legendary sense or a mythological sense, or just say, I know he was out there in history somewhere, and of course I believe in him, but who was he really, and why is it so vital that we organize our lives around a belief in him? So we'll talk about that not only today, but in the many weeks that will follow in this series. Another question that Hebrews brings to our attention is, why did things change so much between the Old Testament and the New Testament? So if you ever have read the Bible in order, you know, you start in Genesis, you say, well, this is pretty exciting, a lot of things about origins and kind of the beginning of God's people, and then you get, you get about halfway through Exodus and you realize that you are, um, like, in, in some ways it becomes pretty tough territory. Do you read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers? And you're reading all sorts of ceremonial and sacrificial laws. You're reading about how they were supposed to set up the tabernacle and a lot of specific things, even about how people were supposed to dress and how they were supposed to cut their hair. And you're like, why is this in the Bible, first of all? And secondly, why is it something I'm reading right now? Why is this relevant to me? Well, Jesus came and he fulfilled a lot of those sacrificial ceremonial laws that we read about in the Old Testament. The book of Hebrews explains how that all works. Uh, and why it is that those, we look back at the law, we, we respect it, but we also realize Jesus has already fulfilled it, so that's not our calling to, to zoom in on the book of Leviticus and try to do what it's saying. Our calling is now to follow Jesus. So we'll explain all that uh, in the weeks to come. Another question that Hebrews answers is, why was the sacrifice of Jesus so necessary? And why does it impact us? Okay, and then the last question is, how do we keep standing strong in our faith especially when it would be easier to give it up. Okay, we'll all encounter moments in our life when we would say, yeah, I know I've trusted in Jesus, but 
it feels like it would be simpler to go back to my old ways or just to go back and do it a different way. Or especially if you're feeling outside persecution against you for your faith, you might say it might be easier just to kind of keep my faith quiet uh, and not not be some sort of a bold witness for Jesus? Could I just keep all this inside my heart and inside my mind and not tell anybody? Okay, the book of Hebrews will help us uh, navigate that as well. So first of all, just a quick show of hands, how many of you would say that in school, uh, whether you're in school now or you were in school at one point, how many of you genuinely liked learning about history? Anybody out there? Okay, so some of you, uh, others of you say, eh, you know, I could take it or leave it. My theory about that is that History, um, history is, is interesting to the degree that you have a good teacher of history. Like, history is the story of humanity. It's, it's super fun. It's, there's all sorts of, I mean, you pick what you, there's romance, there's violence, there's, uh, there's all sorts of intrigue, there's all, there's all sorts of plot twists. I mean, it's kind of the ultimate story. Uh, and it is relevant because when you read the story of history, you start to realize how we ended up with what we have right now. So I've always thought that history sort of ought to be interesting. Hey, I, I had a history professor in college that, for me, was very helpful in that regard. I, I was usually interested in history anyway, so I was the kind of person that would you know, kind of ask why did things happen or why did they end up the way they have ended up. But I had one professor. He was, he was definitely not a Christian at all. In fact, he was, he was trending anti-Christian. But he did an amazing job of presenting history. Uh, so back in my day, which feels like a long time ago now, uh, they called this humanities or Western civilization back when it was in vogue to learn about Western civilization, right? The, uh, so I had a whole class about that, learn about all the things that added up to the life that we have today. And, uh, and so he would come in and he would, he would light up these really interesting discussions uh, about what really happened. Sometimes he would come in dressed up as a historical character and teach the whole class as if he was that character. I remember one day he came in as, a, uh, as an Islamic warrior from, you know, 450 or something, and, uh, and it, that was a fascinating class to, to sit through. So he made history come alive out of the textbook and, uh, and showed, all, I remember one class, he showed how classical music and rock and roll are related. Well, this is a really fun history class, you know, so all sorts of neat things to learn. Um, what I discovered in that was that your passion for learning about what happened it, it, it directly connects to whether or not you think it's relevant for you. Okay? So if you open up to the book of Leviticus right now and you start reading, you'll probably be pretty bored by it because you won't know, why am I reading this? Why does this matter? But if you have someone who sits down with you and says, here's, here's how Leviticus actually, here's why it mattered and how it adds up to something today, well, now, now it's pretty interesting. So here's the good news. The book of Hebrews is like that history teacher. The book of Hebrews is going to sit down next to us and tell us why the Old Testament matters, what we're supposed to do with that information, and now how we should look forward uh, based on our faith in Jesus. So I hope that you'll find this series fascinating, but some of it is a decision right here at the outset to say, I'm going to lean toward this, even if history is not my thing, because I do want to know what God wants me to know. Uh, and God has devoted a lot of ink in His Word to teaching us these things. So, okay, Lord, what, what do you have for us? Okay, so let's start with some history then, some background on the book of Hebrews. Before we read chapter 1, verse 1, uh, here's a little bit about this book that is helpful to understand going in. Okay, first of all, it was likely written in 66 to 69 AD. 
Uh, that'll be significant here in just a minute. It does not have a named author, so most of the books of the New Testament start right off with saying who wrote it. Hebrews does not. So we know that the person was a Jew, uh, and we know that they had a lot of um, connection with, obviously, Christianity. We also know from some context clues they were probably not one of the original 12 disciples. Okay, so that's pretty much all we know about where Hebrews come from. Most people kind of think maybe the Apostle Paul wrote it, but there's not any specific evidence that says he, he did. All right, and it was encouraging Christians among the Jewish nation to remain true to their faith despite dramatic events unfolding around them. So those of you history buffs who did pay attention back in the day, um, 66 to 69 AD comes right before 70 AD. What happened in that year? Anybody know? The temple of Jerusalem was destroyed after the Roman Empire had declared war on the Jewish people, and they laid siege to Rome for quite some time. They tried to starve it out. They tortured people. Eventually, they broke through the defenses that the Jewish people had set up, and they completely leveled the city. Uh, in fact, the emperor of Rome visited Jerusalem sometime after his armies had been there, and uh, the historian that was with him recorded that the emperor was sort of aghast at how destroyed Jerusalem was because he, it looked like it had never been inhabited. They completely destroyed it. Okay, so, so if you're a Hebrew Christian, if you're a Jewish Christian living in that siege, living in that time, you, you've got a lot going on, right? You've got a lot of doubts going through your mind. Your whole way of life is under assault. Your, your key city uh, is surrounded by the Roman army. Uh, usually in that era, people did not win against the Roman army, right? They were the superpower of the day. And I know all you guys out there that think about the Roman Empire all the time, you're like, hey, we're doing it, right? Anybody catch that internet craze a few months ago? Where they're saying like how the average American guy thinks about the Roman Empire like once a week or something. Say, well, we're going to think about it today. So here we go. Um, as Jerusalem and the whole Jewish way of life was under siege, people were starting to wonder, won't God send his angels to rescue us like he did in ancient times? Now you think in ancient times, there are all sorts of stories of God delivering people out of all sorts of terrible situations. The people of Israel would be under assault and the angel of the Lord would come and rescue them. Uh, God would fight for them. So you can read about that in Exodus. You can read about that in, in Numbers and in Joshua. All these moments when the angels of God would come and do battle for the people of Israel. Amazing stories. So they're looking around over their city walls realizing the Roman Empire is about to come upon us here, but God has made us all these amazing promises about his people and his temple and this city. We can't fall because of all the things that God has promised. So we're expecting angels to show up and save us here at the very last minute. Okay, so that was part of the thinking. Uh, the other thing they were thinking is the temple is sacred. God will not let it fall into enemy hands. Like we've gone through so much to get this temple built. And, and this temple represents the glory of God. There's no way that this is going to fall apart. So even though all the evidence would tell them that they're done for, like they have no way of long-term defending against the hordes of the Roman Empire and all their well-trained soldiers, they still had this supernatural expectation of deliverance. Okay? The last thing is, should Jesus' followers step back toward faith in traditional Judaism? 
So what was also going on is inside the city of Jerusalem and among the people who were Jews that would be out in the countryside, they weren't exactly a unified front. All that pressure from the outside was starting to make, make them start to doubt each other. And there are stories of them actually burning each other's food supplies and starting riots and things against one another when obviously their real enemy was outside the gates. But there's so much stress here that things are falling apart. And you could imagine if in the middle of all of that, there's people believing the angels are going to save us and God's temple is here, and now here's a Christian who has rejected our way of life, what do we think about that guy? And he's an outcast. So the Christians who were in the midst of all this that had been Jews and had put their faith in Jesus, they're under tremendous personal pressure to sort of fall in line with, the, with what everybody else was doing, kind of be faithful to the status quo. Okay, so that's all mixed into this recipe. So the writer of Hebrews writes this letter to people facing all of that. Now, 70 A.D. comes along, uh, led by Titus, one of the Roman generals. They, they get into Jerusalem, and they completely destroy the city. Um, the, uh, the stories that have come out of that moment are just truly horrific and tragic. Uh, during the siege, they would crucify anyone that tried to escape the city. Um, and who knows what's hyperbole and what's not, but one historian wrote that the area directly around Jerusalem essentially was deforested because they were making so many crosses to kill so many people as they would flee for their lives. Um, eventually, Jerusalem is destroyed, and because the people had thought of that temple as sacred, they had stored all of their gold and silver in the temple during the siege. So when the temple burned, the gold and silver started to melt into the floors. Now here's what happened. The people, or the, the Roman army that was there wanting to collect all the spoils they could, realized they would have to tear every stone apart from that temple to get all the little drips of gold and silver that were between all the bricks. Okay, which is an interesting note because this is what Jesus had said to his disciples years before as they walked through the temple. Jesus was leaving the temple grounds. His disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings, but he responded, do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another, which is a, which is a specific prophecy, isn't it? Uh, that wasn't just Jesus saying that in kind of a general sense. No, literally every stone was picked up and moved. The entire temple was destroyed. So this was the end of the, the Jewish people as a unified people in the land of Israel until, history buffs, what year? 1967. Uh, so it's pretty interesting to think about. Today, you can read from Joel and other prophets, you can read, we, like we've had Bible prophecy just recently fulfilled some of, the, some of the destruction started all this way back almost in Jesus' time in the first century. Uh, now, so when people kind of make the case that like, hey, you know, let's look at prophecy, let's study, there's reasons why that's a big deal. Uh, there are reasons why this time in history are really interesting to think about because the people of Israel are now back together uh, in that homeland after all those years of being dispersed. So we'll come back to some of these things along the way, but for now, with all that intro, I'd like you to turn to the book of Hebrews and we're going to read some of the encouragement here from this author. Hebrews is a mix of encouragement and warning. 
Okay, so here we go, first section. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, He has spoken to us through His Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, He created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and He sustains everything by the mighty power of His command. When He had cleansed us from our sins, He sat down at the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave Him is greater than their names. For God never said to any angel what He said to Jesus, You are my Son, today I have become your Father. God also said, I will be His Father and He will be my Son. And when He brought His supreme Son into the world, God said, Let all God's angels worship Him. Regarding the angels, he says, he sends his angels like winds, his servants like flames of fire. But to the sun, he says, your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with a scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, God, O, or therefore, o God, your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than on anyone else. He also says to the sun, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth and made the heavens with your hands. They will perish, but you remain forever. They will wear out like old clothing. You will fold them up like a cloak and discard them like old clothing. But you are always the same, and you will live forever. God never said to any of the angels, sit at, my, sit at my place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Therefore, angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for the people who will inherit salvation. So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. For the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm. And every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. And furthermore, it is not angels who will control the future world we are talking about. All right, there's a lot here, okay? So we're going to get into it, and, and hopefully we'll start answering some of those questions. Um, who is Jesus really, and then what is our hope for the future? And I'm reading back and seeing the people who received this letter were in a desperately hopeless situation, okay? And so what is the encouragement that comes to them? Obviously, it's the whole book. We're just looking at the first little section of it, uh, but we'll glean a few things today. So first of all, who was Jesus really? Hey, when we look at that first set of four verses, kind of kicks it off. I said, long ago, at many times, in various ways, God spoke to our ancestors. So if you're a Jewish person, you nod your head along. You're like, yeah, yeah, we know all about the prophets and Moses. And there are lots of vi visitations from God and from angels in the past that delivered all these messages to us. And that all came through prophets. But now, in this final time, in these last days, 
God has revealed something to us, to us through Jesus, his son. Something special's happened because Jesus is not just another messenger from God. He actually is God. Now, this gets to one of the most challenging points of Christian theology, uh, and that is this. When Christians view God, um, we would say there is one God, but God is three persons. That's what people call the Trinity. Okay? So, you know, a lot of Christian things are named after the idea of Trinity because it's a core part of our doctrine, a core part of how we view God as Christians. And this diagram just sort of attempts to show what it is that we're saying when we say there's one God, three people involved in that. Okay, so we've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They each are unique. They're not the same thing. So it's not just three names for the same person. It's actually three different persons. Um, and yet we look at them together and say that's one God. Do I understand that? No. Does anyone understand that? Probably not. Okay. Um, is this, does this transcend limited human understanding of how it works to be an individual? Yes, this transcends a lot of our thinking. That shouldn't surprise us. God is infinite. We're finite. Uh, God transcends the, the universe. He created the universe. So the fact that there's something about him that's beyond our ability to fully grasp is not a surprise at all. Okay? But we'd say, well, this is what we know as we read the Bible. And if you notice, in the reading we just did, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were all mentioned. Okay? We, have the, we have God the Father speaking to the Son. And at the very end, in 2.4, talks about the gifts that the Holy Spirit brought to people. So we have all, the Trinity is all at work here in God's plan, but we point to all of them and we say that's one God. Okay? And you see all the way back in Genesis 1 when God created the heavens and the earth, he says, let us make man in our image. Okay? So this, this mystery of the Trinity is from start to finish all the way throughout the Bible. Now, when we understand that, we say, well, then that means that when the sun shows up, that's a lot different than an angel or a prophet showing up. This is God himself stepping down out of heaven, taking on the form of a human being so that we could have a connection with him, so we could understand what's going on, and actually speaking to us. Okay, so the whole premise of Christianity is based on that. Okay, God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, he created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory. So when you look at Jesus, who are you looking at? Well, you're looking at God, okay? And it expresses the very character of God. One translation says it, Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. So there's no daylight between the two. When you look at Jesus, and Jesus said that, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, okay? Uh, he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. So we say, wow, that's interesting to call that out. We're talking about Jesus who created the universe. We're talking about Jesus who expresses God's own glory and his own character. Now, that is reassuring. I mean, think about it. If your culture is under assault and you think you're going to die, and, and just to start off with some encouragement, the encouragement is not, hey, no, there's actually some strategy you can use to defeat the Roman army. There's probably not. They, they kind of know the handwriting's on the wall. So let's look at the bigger picture. Let's look at the fact that the creator of the universe stepped down out of heaven to talk to you. He has a plan for you. Keep your faith in him. Don't give up now. In fact, when it's difficult like this, that's the time you should cling all the more to your faith rather than giving up. 
So that leads to the second question for this morning, and that is, where should we invest our hope? You think hope is something that we've all got a little bit of it, and we invest it into something. We all put our hope in something. So the people of Jerusalem, when they were under siege, they were putting their hope in the imagination that some sort of angelic army was going to show up and defeat Rome. And they thought, well, that's what God did to the Egyptians, and that's what God did back in Joshua's time when there were all these miraculous defeats of enemy armies, and that's what God did in the time of the judges. He's going to do it now for us. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, no, we've heard from Jesus. There's a new plan. Jesus himself, the Son, stepped down out of heaven. That's where you need to put your hope. Uh, Things are different now. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant, God's old way of doing things is no longer, you, you don't put your hope in that anymore because there's a new way. There's a new testament. There's a new covenant uh, that is just being revealed. So he says, we must listen very carefully to the truth that we've heard or we may drift away from it. As when you're under the pressure of persecution, when you feel like your life and the, like the walls are closing in, it would be easy to start to drift away from your commitment. It would be easy to sort of fall in line with where culture's going instead of staying strong in your faith. So so we know that's a a temptation, so let's focus our attention on our faith in Jesus. It says, for the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm. Every violation of the law, every act of disobedience was punished. So you could read through the whole Testament, and you could say, yep, everything that was promised was going to happen, happened. And when people went against God, you know, there were consequences for that. So obviously that's all true. And he says, so what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? That is, the, the, the message of Jesus, the gospel, the good news that transcends this world and all the bad news that surrounds us in this world that's the, that's the news to put your faith in. Don't, don't jump backwards in time and say, no, no, let's go back to the way it used to be because maybe we can defeat Rome. Uh, no, from here forward, we're going to have to put our faith in Jesus no matter what happens in this life, in this world. And then God confirmed this message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. Which is an interesting uh, note because in... The Jewish mindset, you know, they're, we're, we're very detached from where they were kind of, they were very dialed into Old Testament prophecy. They were very dialed into what the Messiah would do, and they had all sorts of expectations of what that was going to look like. And in their minds, it was a little mixed up between physical salvation, like that the Jewish nation would be great, and spiritual salvation that God would eventually rescue their souls. Like they, they kind of had both things going on, but uh, and a, a lot of times there was a little bit more focus on the national physical salvation because they were physically in trouble. So you don't necessarily fault them for that. Um, but when he says that the, that the Holy Spirit had done these signs and wonders, he's calling their attention to what Peter said was a fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. So this goes all the way back. And you've got to you know, unpack a bunch of history to get to this. But find out at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came, Peter said, hey, this is a fulfillment of something God has done and God is doing that kind of inaugurates this new era of time that's, that's coming. The, the old covenant is passing away. The new covenant has come. So there's more to study on that, but I, I want to give you some encouragements 
that I think not only would connect to the heart of a believer in that first century tough situation they found themselves in, but into our situation right now, you and your life. When you read Hebrews, what should you be taking away? Okay, first of all, you could imagine the writer of Hebrews saying, I know you're under pressure. Don't give up on Jesus now when you need him the most. Well, we always need him the most, so you could always make that argument. But, you know, when you're physically in trouble, that's not the right moment to abandon your faith. But that is what these people were being tempted to do, because it would have been easier. Probably they had family members that had not converted to Christianity saying, come on, come back and be with us here as we are in this struggle and believe with us. And you had the whole sense that the nation was collapsing and it was like everybody needed to be a patriot and line up. And so it would have been really difficult to have those impulses in your heart and still follow Jesus and remain true to him. So over and over again in Hebrews, we're going to see warnings. It says, don't give up your faith. Don't walk away now. Okay, second encouragement. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus Keep your hope invested in him, no matter what happens, no matter how terrible or tragic it is. Keep your hope invested in Jesus. He is the author and finisher of your faith. He's the one that you should be trusting in, not, not some sort of dream that angels will rescue you, not, not, not hopes for political reconciliation with Rome or whatever. Uh, no, focus on Jesus. So whatever it is that you're contending with today, Say, I've got all sorts of struggles in my life that range from personal all the way up to, you know, we've got all sorts of national problems, don't we? So we could, we could be tempted to get all tied up about all of that and lose our hope in Jesus. And here we say, no, it's when the pressure's on. It's when there are personal and national problems. That's when you trust in Jesus even more because you recognize that the salvation you're looking for is not just this life getting better. The salvation you're looking for transcends this life, and it's directly coming from God out of heaven to you. Okay, so this is good news, even if you're in a terrible situation. And then another encouragement, you can imagine that writer of Hebrews looking at us in the 21st century and saying, hey, whatever, whatever horrible thing happens, none of this is a surprise to God. Trust Him with your future, and trust Him with your next decision. Like whatever it is that you're dealing with, uh, whatever it is that you're worried about, you flip on the news, there's all sorts of stuff to worry about, right? You, then you look at your own life and you go, oh, there's things personally to worry about. Whatever those things are, none of them surprise God. All of them are a result of a fallen world that's turned its back on God. We expect there to be trouble in that kind of a world, but we also look forward to Jesus redeeming us, restoring us. We look forward to the great salvation that he's presented to us. So we say, Lord, I'll trust you with my future. I'll trust you with the next decision I have in my hands. Uh, Lord, would you give me your perspective on the things that I'm going through? So when we go through Hebrews here, we'll, we'll, we'll notice that there are some different viewpoints that, through which we can read the text. Uh, we read it, with, first of all, it's really important when you're trying to interpret the Bible accurately, you have to read it through the eyes of who the original recipients of the letter or the book of the Bible were. So what would they have thought in their time? So you go, well, it really helps to know that here these Hebrew believers that are thinking about abandoning their faith, the thing that's causing their stress is the Roman army outside the gates. Like that is really helpful to know that as we read this book. 
It's also helpful to know that they're being tempted to put their faith back, like to leave their faith in Jesus and go back to the sacrificial system, back to the temple with, with an idea that God is going to somehow like protect that temple and rescue them out of that, just like he did in olden days. So when you see that perspective, you realize, okay, I see what was going on there, but now today, as I read it through my viewpoint, saying, Lord, what are the things that you want to teach me from this book? Okay, so I have a few challenges for you as we do this series. So we'll be in Hebrews for a month or two, and uh, I'd, like to, I'd like to give you three things that you can do to kind of drive deep on your own. Okay, we'll do the best we can here in church, but you know, when you just have a half an hour or something to talk about, some pretty deep stuff, you know, some of it will feel like a flyover. Um, if you want the most out of what we're going to learn, you know, you'll have to set aside some time and dive in yourself. So three ways you can do it. First of all, join a life group to discuss further what we learn on Sunday mornings. So if you're not a part of life groups, it's a great opportunity. I think we've got about 140 adults throughout the church family attached to that, there, but there are room for more. And so if you would say, I'd love to be able to take like what we just introduced now and talk with somebody about that, pray with some people about that, and also build friendships, that's what life groups do. And uh, there are life groups on, I think, almost every night of the week. There are options and opportunities for that. So if you're interested, talk to the welcome desk and we can connect you with, with that. Second thing, jump into one of our viewpoint readings to see Hebrews from different angles. So this week, you'll get an email from the church is a little plug to make sure you're signed up for that email. Um, the, uh, you'll get an email from the church with some challenges that you can participate in. One is the viewpoint readings. We'll give you some assignments to read through. Hebrews is only 13 chapters, and they're relatively short. So you could probably read the whole book in 15, 20 minutes. Okay, so, so what I'd like to encourage you to do over the next few months is read the book of Hebrews a few different times, but read it with different viewpoints starting from. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll give you some coaching on that in the email. So hopefully that'll help you just see it from different uh, sides. And then the third is to take our hard times prep challenge. Okay, and that's going to be looking at the truths in Hebrews and saying, how do I load these things into my mind so that when the hard times come to me, I'm ready. I've already been warned. I've already been encouraged. I already have built the right life patterns so that I'm on track with where I need to be and I won't be tempted to give my faith up in those tough moments of life. Okay, so that's all coming in the email this week. I'd encourage you to engage with that. So I'd like to take some time to pray because we're starting a journey now where I think by the end of this, we'll know a lot more about Jesus. We'll probably understand a lot more about the history of how God has worked in the past, especially in the Old Testament. Um, most of all, I hope that your faith will be strengthened. And whatever you face next, you'll be able to face it with confidence. Confidence that Jesus is with you. Confidence that God is not surprised by the challenges of this life and this world and your story. Uh, but in fact, he's with you and he's for you. All right, so let's pray. Let's ask for his help to understand all of this. Uh, Lord, we're so grateful for your word. We're grateful that we can open up the Bible and hear and understand so much. Uh, that you want us to know about the past and about the future. We know that all of us will face trials and temptations that would tempt us to walk away from our faith in Jesus. We know that the world will likely not always be comfortable and peaceful for us. There will be tough times. We want to be ready for those. And Lord, we want our perspective 
to be one of faith and confidence and being oriented to the future, uh, not looking back in the past. So Lord, would you help us as we embark on this study to see what you want us to see, to hear and understand the truth that you want us to understand and internalize. We look forward to the things we'll learn and the ways we can grow as a church community together. We pray all this in Jesus' name. All right, God bless you. Look forward to seeing you next week for part two of One for All, All for One.